some guy came to one of my shows. It was a Christmas show, and he was wearing shorts. So I brought him, I literally brought him up on stage. And I said, you got to tell your legs what season it is. your boy DJ Omowski. I'm chilling here with Waleezy and Tony Mass. We have a very special guest here, a Long Island boy. He has an amazing voice. Some call it a classic voice. It's Sal Valtanetti. What's up, Sal? How you doing? Good to have you, man. It's good to be here. Well, be here and with you. (laughs) Yeah, we're happy to have you virtually. Virtually doesn't matter. Virtually. We're happy no matter what. One thing I've been interested in is, you know, I'm talking to a lot of new people through Zoom now, All, all my interviews and podcasts and everything and, and radio shows and appearances all through zoom so i'm interested in knowing exactly how tall everybody is because that, oh. that could be a thing oh geez wait we wow. wanna get, you gotta guess you have no idea that's right I, we got, i'm not gonna stand up because i'm i'm wearing a robe but yeah. you know so for obvious <laughs> See, he said he, he said he was wearing shorts but now i don't get it i'm not <laughs> You won't even stand this up. This is this one's for the people We're gonna make them wonder that's that's a classic rodney dangerfield thing to wear a robe that's right that's but there, right. were, there were some stories that he didn't wear anything underneath. Uh, you know, I, I have some friends uh, in comedy who can confirm those stories, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> so, but, uh, but no, Rod, Rodney, Rodney was the king. He didn't care. He was the, he was the king of not giving a, what, what is, what, are we PG here? No, no. no, no you can let he me. didn't give a shit what anybody thought about him. He would yeah. go on stage and he would just let loose. And, and when he walked around, he would walk around danger fields oftentimes in a row, usually when he was coming out of the dressing room from visiting with, uh, with the young talent. So yeah. uh, Rodney, Rodney was, the, was the king of cool. So yeah. uh, to, to, for any, for any uh, comparisons brought to either Frank Sinatra or Rodney Dangerfield, I, I really appreciate that. I was just going to say that because that's kind of, you know, a lot of people say your music captures that moment in time because it's such a classic sound. I want to talk about, uh, you know, music. I want to talk about America's Got Talent, the Golden Buzzer, uh, and, you know, a lot of other things that you've been, you know, working on, some projects, an EP, an album, Christmas album. Uh, I know you have some virtual shows and some uh dates that have been pushed to uh October yes. and things like that so you got a lot going on and you're staying busy during this time too as well um for sure the first thing I wanted to talk about because we did already mention Rodney and Frank Sinatra what are the things that you know uh, that you care comparisons to Frank Sinatra and the Rat Pack and you talked about I found this so interesting the Dean Martin roasts yeah I grew up around uh around some some sharp people some sharp guys Mm-hmm. And uh, even though they weren't the brightest in school or whatever, if they caught you on a bad day, they would rip you to pieces. And if you didn't know how to reciprocate that, you'd, you'd be, you know, minced meat. So, you know, I love, one of my favorite things to do is, is tear my friends apart. Like that, that's the most fun we have is when we're all sitting around, you know, having a few drinks, uh, relaxing. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden somebody is tearing apart somebody's shoes and then somebody's hair and then somebody, somebody's girlfriend. And then it gets, it gets hilarious. It gets personal. And, and I think that was so much fun. We live in a culture where that that's becoming harder and harder to do. For sure. uh, so, so I, I kind of appreciate the humor in, uh, in kind of, uh, taking a jab at each other. Also, you know how those events, uh, the the roast, the Dean Martin roast, the uh, the roast that were that were hosted uh, by Roddy Dangerfield did some roasts. You know, people can kind of make comparisons to the Comedy Central roast, like Justin Bieber mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, Bruce Willis, and and all the people have been done recently, like um, Alec Baldwin, Donald Trump. Yeah. You know, it, it's kind of a like a classy evening where people rip each other apart. So I would love to bring that back. Uh, you know, unfortunately, when I said that uh, uh, four years ago, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't in the entertainment industry and I didn't know the, uh, about all these boundaries and you know, it's kind of like walking on eggshells. But that, yeah. that's kind of what I was going for was that kind of relaxed vibe 
but people don't have to worry about what other people think. It's just kind of letting loose. Yeah. Yeah. The reason I bring that up too, is that I think those Dean Martin roasts and you explained it perfectly. It surmises what we think about you in terms of not just being a singer, but it being an entertainer. Even the, even the singers like Frank would d jump on with Don Rickles and do a couple of jokes too. You had to have the whole package and, you know, you know, wearing the suit and, <laughs> at the time, I think they were just chain smoking cigarettes and drinking scotch. Half the time, they were too drunk to like make a joke, but somehow they came out with it and it was still funny. But that's you know, right. That that time frame, uh, there's such a nostalgia tie to like the way you're you are as an entertainer, and it's just so refreshing to see, man. I kind of I try to carry it over to my to my live shows, um, and kind of you know, there's a formality to it. I'm in a tuxedo. I have a nine piece band behind me you know we're, we're it's it's tremendous uh production and lights and everything and people are all dressed up they're all in theater seats and then you know three or four songs into the show i ask everybody how they're doing you know mm. I, I i bring i bring the crowd into it we we kind of just uh, sometimes you know especially when i'm when i'm home on long island uh i'll just strike up a conversation with the crowd i'll I'll ask people what they think about X, Y, and Z. People start yelling out, and I'll, I'll mess with people. I'll mess with people so hard. Some guy came to one of my shows in, uh, in Tom's River, New Jersey. It was, it was a Christmas show, and he was wearing shorts. So I brought him, I literally brought him up on stage, and I said, you got to tell your legs what season it is because, you know, you, you're out here looking like Tommy Bahama. It's literally freezing rain outside. I think, uh, sir... Are you concerned? He goes, well, my mother is. And he points his mother out in the audience. I go, I go, I'm sorry. You're the worst mother ever. Because if my mother saw me wearing shorts in December, she hit me over the head with a pipe so I didn't catch pneumonia. You know? She get you by Something the ear. like that. I love that you call the mother out, too. No, no holes barred. Everybody. Everybody. Nobody's safe. Down. No one's safe when it comes to roasting. I love it. If I, if I offend one person for the, for the entertainment of a thousand other people, I did okay. We're all right. We're all right. If a thousand people laugh and this one person just sitting there with a with a puss on their face, then I, I didn't do the wrong thing. They did the wrong thing. Yeah. So and, and, and don't wear and don't wear shorts in the middle of December. That's the and you don't get wear, roasted. Wear shorts in summer. And you know, don't wear shorts to a show. I mean no, the guy don't wear shorts, shorts first of all, yeah, that's that's rule one. Yeah, that's that's kind of insulting <laughs> to what I just had. I said it's an old formal thing. I come out in a tuxedo. If I come out in a tuxedo and and, and you got, you know. You're wearing, you're shorts wearing board shorts and vans to my show. I'm going to smack you. I'm gonna, verbally, I'm going to smack you. you know? I think I, we saw an interview that you said you do about, you know, in some cases, depending on your time restrictions, you do like 90 minutes of music and then anywhere from like a half hour to an hour and a half of like, you know, riffing with the crowd, getting them into it. I think those types of moments when the, the concert or show is more than just, you know, song, 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 song. It's, it's like build an intimate uh, kind of like atmosphere and it's, it's cool to be a part of that. Um, and then also just to tie on, I know I, I'm a big comedy fan. So once you said Dean Martin Rose and, and that you were a fan of Rodney and, and, and Don Rickles, I was like, this guy, I love this guy, but he, the, the one thing yeah. you know about these people is that they also like a Don Rickles type and, and Frank Sinatra, they were ball busters, right? Like, just like you were talking about. And that was kind of a rite of passage of being in the family or being a friend is you kind of bust balls. But also at the right. end of the day, they circled back and then said, you know, they loved you. They gave you a kiss on the cheek, you know, so it, it is a yeah. full circle. Absolutely. They do, I only, I only, we, we only uh, do it out of love. Right. If, I, if I'm not breaking your balls, it means I don't like you, yeah. <laughs> you know? Sure. So uh, the, all my all my friends, I'm a big fan of comedy myself, and all my my friends who are comedians, they they tell me like this. They go, you know, I, if I'm not cursing when I talk to you, I'm not comfortable around you. If I'm not nope. if I'm not breaking your balls, it means I don't like you. And, and so you know, my crowd uh, are, are mostly people who come from the same uh, the same walk of life as me. They're they're mostly uh, you know, old school type people. Uh, they're, they're, they're mostly people who grew up around uh, relatives who love this music. I'm not saying, you know, they're, they're mostly older people. We get people from all generations, mm -hmm. but they come from the same school. So, right. you know, if, if I start breaking the, the drummer's balls on stage, they're going to love that. They're going to eat it up. 
and, and you know it's part of my personality already so it's kind of easy to incorporate into the shows moreover i become more comfortable you know performing on stage you know i'll, I'll admit this it is the most nerve-wracking and awkward thing you could possibly do is to stand in front of uh you know a few hundred a couple thousand people and just sing and go from one song to the next there's oftentimes is it's it's really really awkward so if you could break the ice in the room with like like when i go to when i go to new jersey when i do shows in especially in north jersey they they love this like red bank i do uh the count basie theater in red bank i go new jersey i got two questions for you first question how you doing oh yeah how you doing i go second question what the fuck is that smell and they all, they all laugh, they, they crack up because they know exactly what it is. And they all yell in unison, it's Staten Island. And yep. it's, you know, it's a whole big thing that we could have together. You know, when I go to, when I go to Philly, I, I, I trash talk the Patriots. When I go to Boston, I get to talk about the Eagles. So, you know, it's a, it, it's a, it's a really great thing, especially as a Giants fan. So, yep. you know, it's, uh, there's, all, there's all different attributes, different people. When I go to California... I make fun of, uh, you know, how, how they like to eat kale and, you know, how I, I stick out like a sore guinea in, in Los Angeles. So, you know, it's, uh, it, it all depends, but it, it gets me loose enough to now put on a show, to give 150% of myself, to dance around stage like an idiot, to, to maybe do something that's a little more fun and out there with the band, maybe do a little improv music, do a little, uh, you know, I'll play a little game with the crowd, something like that. So, you know, it, 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 it's not, I'm no comedian. I'll be the first person to say this. I'm just table funny. You know, I, I'm, I'm no comedian. I can't sit there and put together five minutes of material, let alone an hour, 15, 30 minutes, what these guys do. But I know how to have fun. Mm -hmm. I grew up in, in, a, in a household where we had nothing but fun all the time. When we'd have 20, 30 people over for every holiday. And, and people would lose their minds. So, you know, that, that's where I come from. So that's what I'm comfortable around. So mm -hmm. as long as I can do that, we're good. We do 90 minutes of music and we have, we have all sorts of fun in between. That's been, you know, that's probably the thing I miss the most yeah. right now is being able to perform on stage. Every Sunday at four o'clock, I've been doing this little thing where I, I get in front of the camera for an hour on Facebook I do like 30, 40 minutes on Instagram, and I kind of just, just mess around. It's me and my, my uh, piano player, Jason Reese. He sits, you know, we sit about 10 feet apart. He comes in, I wipe down the piano, the whole nine. So, so we're safe about it, but it's still, not, it's still not the same. You know, it's still not no the same as having a crowd to, to bullshit with. It's still not the same as walking out to a 100-year-old theater and hearing the, the acoustics of the, the, the wood carving that's been in the ceiling for 100 plus years and how, the, how each, each theater has a different personality. It, this, that, that's my favorite thing and that's what's missing right now. So the fact that people are actually coming on and, and messaging me and saying, you know, Sal, this is, this is good what you're doing. It makes me feel good. So I don't care that I'm not getting paid to do this. I don't care that it's not the same as what I'm used to. All I care is that I get to do something that I absolutely love, which is sing this music and perform, and that people are, are reciprocating joy. They're, they're feeling happy about it. That, that's all I could ask, is that I make people happy. Yeah. So I kind of want to take it back to, to the beginning. I, I was reading up on you, and, and um, I know a big influence in your life was your grandma. Um, right. Now, was she, was she an artist, a musician, or she just likes to listen to like Frank uh, Frank Sinatra? No, Martin? she was. Uh, she, my grandmother was was actually born here. This is my father's mother, and uh, she grew up with this music. And so, uh, every afternoon, I would go to her house after after preschool, and we'd go in the kitchen after we were done watching. She watched all my children in General Hospital back to back. All the all the I almost screwed up in the head. Yeah. <laughs> All, all, all the grandmas is crochet and, and get the soaps. Yep. Right. So in order to appease me, which contributed to, to my, my now obesity was she would <laughs> take me into the kitchen and she'd pull out dessert and she put on uh, AM 1100, which is WHLI, which is uh, a station that plays all the oldies. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And uh, she had this little radio in the corner of the kitchen. She blasted. And we dance around the kitchen until my mother and father came and picked me up. So when she passed away, the music is what I had to remember her by. It made me happy. And it made me uh, just, just that. It made me happy. It was feel-good music. So I started singing it in the shower. Uh, you know, like, um, and I think I was 15 years old. I was in a private lesson. I played the baritone horn, which is uh, a moot point. It's a ridiculous tuba-looking <laughs> instrument. Uh, that I was handed in the third grade and said, hey, play this. It's different than the trombone. You'll look different. You'll, you'll stand out. I said, sure. So I was in a private lesson. I wanted to learn this song that me and my grandmother used to listen to by Bobby Darren, only I didn't know the name of it. And I started singing it, and that song was Mac the Night. So uh, towards the end of it, the, the, the music teacher stopped me because he was like, what the hell? And he's like, so you, you sing? And I said, no, not really. I just I love this music. I listen to it all the time. And he goes, so you have a really good ear. And he tested me for tone and pitch. And he's like, you know, Sal, you should, you should try this. And I felt like saying to him, like, are you trying to say that I'm, I'm terrible at the baritone horn? <laughs> like, are you, is that what you're trying to say? That I'm so bad that I should just drop it and start singing? Who the hell do you think I am? You know? And uh, one thing led to another. My parents didn't believe it because my mother's tone deaf and my father's not very musically inclined. <laughs> So my parents brought me to um, one, of my, one of my uncle's houses, and uh, they told me that if I didn't start singing, because uh, they, they wanted him to see, they, they needed like, you know, a second opinion. And <laughs> apparently my uncle Dino was a, a musical genius uh, in, an, in another life. I didn't know this, but they brought me in and they said, if you don't, my father told me, if you don't start singing, I'm gonna take your Xbox and I'm gonna throw it out the second floor window onto the patio. And you're going to watch it smash into a million pieces. You don't want that. Now. You know, so I don't know what it is with Italians and always threatening physical harm. If it's oh, not to you, it's to something, to something you else. Yeah. yeah, right. But but that's what got me to start singing. It's funny. But that's that's how it works. And uh, I just kind of took it from there. My family liked it. My family would have me sing at all sorts of uh, uh, family events. They'd say, hey, you know, Sal, he sings. He does a great this. He does a great that. You know, Make him sing that slice. Make him sing Mac the Knife. Oh, he could sing. Have him sing. The, I started singing in Italian because, uh, you know, now my nonna, my mother's mother heard, and she wanted to hear all about it. So it's, you know, one thing led to another. And uh, I, I started singing, like, kind of casually. And, so how uh, is that? Though? Just going back on the family thing. I yeah. know, like, growing up, like, my, 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 my cousin played, like, the piano. And every family gathered was like, hey, Noreen, play the piano. But... And she, she actually quit playing the piano just because, I mean, I feel like that was part of it. Just like, so yeah. much, like enough. Like I hated I, it because of that. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Well, I'm glad you stuck with it because it was amazing. Well, work. I almost didn't. I, yeah. you know, I, 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 I was, uh, I was 17 years old. I just started driving. So of course, like one of my things, I love driving. I love, I love my Cadillac. I said, I, I want to, if I can get a job where I can spend all day in this Cadillac, I'd be the happiest, you know, I'd be a pig and shit. And, you know, my, my cousin said, hey, you can come work at the pizzeria. And I said, whoa, wait, wait, wait a second. You're telling me unlimited pizza and I get to spend the day in my Cadillac. You know, it was like, it was a dream come true, you know? <laughs> they don't even got a pen. You know, yeah. As a fat kid, that's like finding candy in your pocket. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's an unbelievable thing, you, you know? You take out a Jolly Rancher, you're like, wow, this made it through the laundry. I'm going to eat it, you know, like that. <laughs> You get, you get happy, you get excited. And so I, I, I did that, but the problem was I was delivering pizza in a Cadillac, which is the most counterproductive thing you could do if you want to make money. Because right. half my paycheck was going into the gas yeah. tank. Yeah. And the other half of the paycheck, I mean, I worked Thursday nights uh, at the pizzeria, and then Friday morning I would, I would take first period off, which was usually gym, but it was cool as long as I showed up to school with coffee for Mr. G. So uh, I would take first period off. I'd go to the car wash, the corner of Newbridge Road and, uh, and Old Country Road in Hicksville, and I'd get my caddy flossed out. I'd have them put so much armor all on the seat that every time I made a left turn, I'd almost fall out of the bathroom. <laughs> so, it was, you know, I thought I was a big shot, but I wasn't making any money because I was, I, again, I was like, I was, first of all, I was gangster tipping. You know what that is? Gangster tipping, it's, it's when... You know, you take, like most people, they, they tip they tip a dollar or two dollars, something like that. Gangster tipping is you want people to think you're, you're a big shot, so you start pulling your 20s out of your rubber band, and you're yeah. like, here, here you go. 
Here you go. Tipping everybody, too. Come here. Yeah. You did a great job on a steering wheel. I can see my teeth in it. I love it. Here, it's 20 bucks. And so I wouldn't have any money by, by Friday <laughs> afternoon. So, so my, my, uncle, my uncle Joe, who had heard me uh, sing at family parties and stuff, he's like, listen, Sal, you should, you should make money for this. A friend of mine has a restaurant. He'll give you 100 bucks on Thursday nights. And I was like, I got to give up pizza delivery on Thursday nights. He goes, he goes, screw it. Do it Friday. You make better money anyway that way. I said, all right. I did an hour for a hundred dollars every Thursday night. And the first time I started, it was the most awkward thing ever because, you know, like you said, uh, my family kind of made it awkward for me by, by putting me on the spot every time I was somewhere. Yeah. So I didn't think much of myself, you know, as a, I didn't take myself seriously. And about 15 minutes into me playing there, the people who were sitting there, which there was only, that's the other thing, there was only two people sitting in the restaurant <laughs> that night. It was the most awkward thing ever. The two people that were sitting there ordered another round of drinks, and then they called their friends, and four of their friends came down, and for three hours they sat, they drank, they ordered more food, they, they, were, they were giving me requests, you know, and, and I fell in love with it. And every week I would, I would come up with new music, I'd, I'd crack a couple of super corny jokes, I would, uh, you know, I, I would kind of play into it. I was only 17, and people thought it was adorable. You know, here, here's, this, here's this young kid who sings this music and who seems to really like it. So I, I kind of built the following. And Thursday nights became Saturday nights. Before you know it, we were, we were doing really well there. Uh, my tip draw was, I had a fishbowl. And every night, every night before the, the show would start, I'd take $20 and i put it in the fishbowl. So people, you know, would think, oh, we gotta, you know, we gotta take care of this kid. That was, that was my little social experiment. So I, it really built up and I loved it. And I loved what I did. I didn't think it was anything to take seriously because I was saying, all right, I graduated high school. I was going to go to college for something completely different. I was doing legal studies at St. John's. I didn't think it was practical. And my Uncle Joe approached me and he said, uh, American Idol is coming to the Nassau Coliseum. It might be something you want to think about. So I said, okay, that's not my thing. You know, I'm not into pop music. I'm into this kind of music. And I don't think that's what they're looking for. So he said, don't worry about any of that. Go wear your suit, be, you know, be yourself, do your thing. Go, you perform. If they don't like you, I'll tell you what. If they don't like you, I'll give you my Range Rover for the rest of the summer. A brand new Range Rover, I said. Absolutely. <laughs> I thought 100%. I was leaving Nassau Coliseum because he worked at RXR Plaza across the street. I thought for sure I was leaving Nassau Coliseum with his Range Rover, and he was leaving with my caddy. I was like, I was game, set, match. I was so confident that I wasn't going to get on the show that I belted out Crimea River, not the Justin Timberlake version, the Julie London version. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it blew them away. They put me on the show. I didn't get my Range Rover, but I got on TV. I went through to Hollywood Week, and I got kicked off. And uh, it was because I really didn't, didn't want to do pop music. I told them straight out. They gave me the song to do, and I was like, absolutely not. I'm not doing a song by train. You can, mm -hmm. you can shove it up your ass if you want me to sing <laughs> anything other than what I like to do. Because I know what I do, I nail it, I knock it out of the park. This crap, I'm not so used to. So it was kind of naive of me. You know, I didn't know much about music at the time. And I think that that's kind of what did it. And I got kicked off the show and I really didn't feel it until I saw it on TV. My Uncle Joe, unfortunately, didn't get to. My Uncle Joe passed away a couple months before it aired. So seeing, seeing the show and seeing how they kind of depicted me and seeing the reaction that people had to seeing me on there and you know thinking all the whole time wow my uncle joe was right from the very very start i should be doing this i should be making money off of it this is a practical thing look people like it mm -hmm. and uh it, it was about a year to the day that my uncle had passed away that i got a call from a casting producer from america's got talent saying hey we want you to come on the show uh we think you're great uh we we want you to just come and try out if it doesn't work out, you know, what's the difference? So I said, sure. And I went down and they shipped us to, to Pasadena, California. I auditioned and in front of, you know, 15 million people in July, it was July 15th of 2016, mm -hmm. Heidi Klum gave me a golden buzzer and it set my, my life on a completely different course for the next four and a half years. Yeah. And here we are. What's the, I mean, if you can even put that in words, like 
I mean, just being on the show is one thing. And obviously you've been singing for a while at that point, but the golden buzzer, like, I mean, anyone that watches the show, that's like the ultimate praise, especially on the, the opening days. So yeah. it was like the first time in my life that I felt truly proud of myself, that mm -hmm. I could really, you know, pat myself on the back and say, you know what, this is something it, it was, it was life affirming. It was kind of like, you know, saying, oh, I'm thinking about this thing. You know, maybe I got a shot at it. And then going from in just a few minutes from walking out on stage and thinking, okay, I'm going to give this a shot to the end of that performance and the people on their feet and saying, I need to do this for the rest of my life. I have no, there is nothing else that feels as right as this right now. Mm -hmm. and, and thank God, thank God that that happened because the last three or four years of my life have been the most incredible of it. You know, being, being able to perform for crowds uh, in London, in Los Angeles, in Florida, in Chicago, uh, being able to give back and, and participate in so many different uh, charity organizations and charity events, uh, being able to meet uh, incredible people uh, you know, it, it's just been so wild. So in a, in a word, in, a, in two words, if I had to describe what getting the golden buzz is like, it's life changing. Mm. It really is. Two things. One, I love that you gangster tip yourself at the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, what was it like performing in front of, in front of, I know all those judges are, are you know, they have a name for themselves, but specifically Simon, who's known for ripping people to shreds on national TV. Oh yeah. How, what was that like? I mean, obviously you got the golden buzzer and, and he said good things about you, but what was going through your head before that? Do you ever like, uh, I know, I know we're not supposed to promote texting and driving, but uh, you guys have all done it. Mm. You ever, you ever look down at your phone and then look up and realize that your car is in two lanes and then look <laughs> in your rear view mirror and you see a cop. Yep. It's the same feeling. Ooh. It's that <laughs> your, your heart just sinks. You have that. Oh shit moment. You know, it doesn't matter. You're, you're like, you're in front of the world right now and none of it matters because there's Simon Cowell and this little British guy, this little, this, this little guy, whatever comes out of his mouth can alter your career one way or the other. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's insane. He's like Punch's pilot and he's sitting there in his little V-neck t-shirt with his little hairs popping out, you know, and, and, you know, you're looking at him, you're like, oh my God. Then you realize as, you, as you're about to go out and you see his makeup artist run up to the chair and touch him up, you realize, oh my God, he's just another guy. Yeah. He's just another guy. If I had done these shows and restaurants for all these people who you know, likely don't know what the hell they're talking about, but they still enjoy it, they still like what I do. If I do the same thing, the same thing, just in front of this guy, there's a pretty good chance that he's going to go for it. And if he doesn't, you know, what am I going to do? I'm going to go back to St. John's. I'm going to study harder. I'm, I, you know, I'm never going to skip class again. And, you know, you know I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of my accounting professor. And I'm going to pass that class. But, you know, that's, uh, that's neither here nor there. Because once you're out there and once you're performing, it's like the world goes away. Somebody asked me, what was it like? I, I really don't know. I started my way, and I, it's not that I, I didn't actually physically close my eyes, but I, I looked past the judges. I looked at the audience, and I said, if, if anyone's going to get these guys, these, these four people standing in front of me, it's going to be the audience. When they hear the audience roar, if the audience enjoys it, they're going to feel it too. So that's what I did. I kind of looked right past Simon Cowell, and I looked at all the people, the Pasadena Civic Center, and uh, I, I tried my best to light it up. And that's what we did. And uh, Simon kind of got that. And I remember talking to him at a later date, once we went back to California for the live shows. And he said, you know, you, you, you're a natural performer in that you're not performing for any purpose other than to please the crowd. Mm. You know, you're not there. You're not there. In other words, the competition isn't what's going through your head. The judges are not what's going through your head. It's the people in front of you. It's the people on the other side of the camera. You know, he said, as long as you recognize that, 
and you you uh, you cater to those people, you'll be a consummate performer for the rest of your life. And that that's another like you know life affirming moment. Simon Cowell pulls you aside and says, "I like what you're doing." Yeah, you know, unbelievable. So. I think uh, a, a big part, and I'm, I'm acting like I know you forever, but it, it was an yeah. interesting thing to hear that your uncle said. Um, he kind of like took the pressure off you by saying, look, even if you don't get it, you can drive my car. So it was just like, I feel like when I watched your American Idol audition, first of all, they did like a, a, like a package. Like they only like pick a handful of people to do like a whole little segment before they go on. Right. And I feel like one, it was authentic. It wasn't like, you know, some people from whether it's New York or down South or California, they like, they turn it on a little bit more. You just, it just felt like so authentic and relaxed. And then also like the banter between the judges, it was like JLo and Harry Connick Jr., I think yeah. those little, it's not even little, those details, those kinds of interactions are what make you, uh, you know, next level. And the funny thing also I wanted to say too, is that watching your interviews and just watching you talk to people, uh, this is a, this is another classic thing. And it's a, it's a good thing. It's an interpersonal thing that you always do. I noticed you always shout out people's name and you always remember their name. I feel like that's an important thing for in Long Island, our culture, Italian culture. And I think that speaks about you in terms of like values and stuff like that. It's pretty admirable of you to do that. Well, two, two things my father taught me. My father was a, a union rep for the Long Island Railroad. Mm -hmm. And he was responsible for over 2,000 guys. And, you know, my father didn't have a college degree. My father worked his whole life. From the time he was 18, you know, uh, my, my father's hands are like, they're like iron sandpaper, right? <laughs> so when I was 15 years old, I asked him when he retired, I go, how did you do it? You know, all these guys, they look at you like, you know, like they look up to you. My father goes, two things you got to know about people. One, they can smell bullshit from across the street. So as soon as you come off as, as ingenuine, they'll, they'll, they could tell. As soon as you, you, they, they sense the slightest bit of bullshit, they're going to run the other way. That's number one. Number two, remembering somebody's name goes a long way because relationships are important. Mm -hmm. You never know when you're going to need these people in life. You're never going to know when you're going to need to call these people. And you better remember their freaking name. You know, you, you better. It's also important, you know, to remember fans. You know, these are the people who, who drive my career. These are the people who come to my shows. These are the people who buy my T-shirts. These are the people who listen to me rant for 15 minutes about my mother's sauce on stage. <laughs> these are the, you know, these are the people who, who are going to support me, who are going to be my rock through my entire career. And if you don't, if you forget those people, if you don't take a personal, if you don't take that, that relationship as personally as they do, then that, that's not going to work. It's not going to add up. Mm -hmm. So I do remember fans. I do remember people. I had, a, I had this one woman. Um, I called her Lorna Dune. Her name was Lorna and her husband, Bob. And I, and love Lorna, Lorna. I love Lorna Dunes. Shout out to Lorna Dunes. It's an unappreciated cookie. Right? Nobody knew oh. what I was talking about. Like, it's the best shortbread cookie those. ever. It's like yes, buttery. Yes. It's delicious. Right? Yeah. Look it's, at it's, you put butter on anything. I'm excited about it. <laughs> So, so Lorna and Bob, they, they had a place in Florida and then a place in Western Jersey. So they would come to all my shows in Florida. I mean, they would drive hours to come see me. And they would, they would drive hours to come. They would come see me in Philadelphia. They'd come see me in upstate New York. They'd come out to Long Island. They'd go see me. I remember one time they drove to Ohio uh, uh, just, just to come see me. And they were, in, they were like, you know, almost 90 years old, th mm. this couple. And they were crisscrossing the country. And uh, one day we got a call from Lorna's daughter that she was, that she was sick. And that's why I hadn't seen her in a while. So uh, I, I had got home from, uh, from a trip out to California. I did some shows in, uh, in Beverly Hills and San Diego. Uh, and so I, I got home. I, I uh, saw my father. I said, Dad, I got I to gotta take a trip to Jersey tomorrow. And he said, uh, are you going to see Lorna? And I said, yeah. And he goes, really? I said, yeah, I, I got their address from their daughter. I'm, I'm just going to drop in. And he goes, you know, they live like two and a half hours away. I said, yeah, I'm going to bring a little something, a little cake, a little flowers. I'm going to go there. Just let her know that I'm thinking of her and then I'm going to go. I show up and they live in uh, Newton, New Jersey, which is like the middle of nowhere in New Jersey. It's like up in the sticks of New Jersey. It's like if 
if they took deliverance and moved it from West Virginia <laughs> to New Jersey. Like, no street lights, nothing. It was pouring rain. And I, again, I stick out like a sore guinea. I'm in a stretch Escalade. It's white like Tony Soprano. I got, <laughs> I got white wall tires on it. And I'm rolling through, and there's people in pickup trucks giving me the stink eye. And, and all of a sudden, I happen upon this little house right on the lake. And uh, I, I knocked on the door. Her husband comes to the door. Bob comes to the door. And he opens the door. And at first, he has no He's like, oh, thank you. And he reaches out to take the flowers as if I'm like a delivery guy. Right? And uh, the, the, her, Lorna goes, Bob, who is it? And he goes, oh, it's, uh, it's a flower delivery. And she peeks ahead, and she, she, I swear to God, she almost fell over. She goes, she goes, oh, my God, what are you doing here? I said, well, your daughter gave me a call, and I just wanted to come and spend some time and just give you a quick visit and let you know we're thinking about you. And, uh, you know, we, we shared a whole evening. Uh, her, she started cooking. Her family came over, her daughter, her son. They, they drove from their homes with their families, and we sat around the table for hours. My father called me. He goes, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm sitting with Lorna and Bob and, and the kids, and we're just, <laughs> we're just sitting. We're having a nice time. And uh, I remember leaving there, and the next day getting a call from her daughter saying, uh, is there anything we could do for you? And I, I said, why would there be anything you could do for me? Yeah. She goes, you came to see my parents. She goes, you charge $75 on Cameo for people to – to have a birthday message sent to them. And you drove all the way to, to my parents' house to spend some time. I said, you have no idea. Seeing a familiar face at my shows uh, uh, meant the world to me all, all these, you know, these last few years. So, so this is the least I could have done was to drop in and visit. You know, the, these people who've driven all over got a kingdom come to see me. Relationships with fans are important. You know, they're not all personal relationships, like the relationship I had with Lorna before she passed, or her husband Bob, or, or their family. Uh, they're, they're as little as this woman, Kathy Connolly, who I see at all my shows in New England. She comes, she bakes cookies. Just, just <laughs> so I can see her, I go, Kathy, come over here, come to the front <laughs> of the line. And she feels like royalty. You know, and, and I think the other people, they see that, and and... They feel like they, you know, this woman, Laura, she, she comes to all my shows in New Hampshire. She brings New Hampshire maple syrup, like legit maple syrup to all my shows. And, and, you know, it's like things like that, little things like that. Remembering those people makes a difference. I think it makes a difference to all my fans because they all see that. They all see that, that kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, that kind of thing. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I'll be honest, man. I mean, we've, we've talked to a lot of, we've had a lot of guests on this show. And I think that that's like the most unique trait that we've had of anybody as far as like making that connection with people. It's incredible. I had no idea about that about you. And I think that's just like, that's awesome. Yeah. You're a great singer. You know, but yeah. that's by far the coolest thing that, that I've The heard. way I was brought up, you know, I think, uh, I think we were all brought up that way. Yeah. As of uh, you kind of like a, a check-in with yourself in terms of just your career, what do you think you want to be remembered for uh, when it's all said and done? In terms of not just singing, but as a person. What, that what I made everybody like smile. That's it. That's all I could do. You know, I, I, somebody asked me, what's your goal? What's your goal uh, for your career? What do, you, what do you hope? How do you hope to, to how, do you, how do you hope for people to remember you? And it's obviously the same question. Yeah. And I said, I just want to make people, if I can make people half as happy as this makes me, I'll have succeeded. Mm -hmm. Because, I, you know, this, this, doing this makes me so happy. You know, I was brought to tears today. I was talking to my girlfriend about all the different, because she was saying, oh, you know, well, they're doing different things now. And, you know, you may be able to perform with the band virtually. Maybe you do it at a club and you can still have a little audience and blah, blah, blah. I said, that's not the point. I said, the point is when, when you, like I said before, when you come out on stage in one of these hundred year old theaters and, and you know, you're, you're, you're overwhelmed with the history of the room. You're overwhelmed with the energy of the crowd. And you have this, this sense of pure happiness and joy to yeah. be able to, to perform for those people and, and to fill that room with sound. And uh, if I can make people half as happy as that makes me, 
to be able to be brought to tears that it's been, you know, kind of taken away for a little bit. Uh, I, I've done the right thing, you know, to, to leave a, to leave an impact that, you know, I, I went to Catholic school. I was brought up on Catholic values of service, mm -hmm. uh, to, to know that I served my community in every way that I could, that I reached out to people and to organizations and lended my status to, to help them, uh, just to make people happy, whether it's the people in the audience or people who don't even know that, that I was just there doing whatever I was doing for them. Uh, that, that's all that matters to me. You've touched on a, a lot about, you know, these hundred year old theaters and, and, you know, I've been in some nice cathedrals and stuff like that, just traveling. But like, as far as your favorite or the one that kind of was just like kind of shook oh, you man. when you, when you step foot in there, you can give a couple examples, but I just want to kind of hear the places you've been just so we can live through it on, on this. Top kind of three. Give it to us. Top three would have to be, um, I performed at the original Paramount, which is the theater at Madison Square Garden. Mm. And, you know, a guy like me, it's very tough, especially these days, to play Madison Square Garden, unless you're Michael Bublé. Yeah, so, yeah. Right. And even then, you can't sell it out. It's impossible. But I performed at, uh, at the Paramount at Madison Square Garden, so that was pretty cool. Uh, I'd say number two has to be uh, performing at the, uh, the St. George Theater in Staten Island. Mm. A lot of history with this room. And you look out and, and it's the carvings in the ceiling are absolutely gorgeous. The sound that comes back at you is like none other. You know, when you sing a slow ballad or a powerful song, you know, like a My Way or um, I Left My Heart in San Francisco, You'll Never Walk Alone. And you feel the, the, the vibration of the waves of sound come back and wash you over on stage. Mm. That's like a, a irreplaceable feeling. And I think the St. George Theater is one of the best places for that. Um, number one, number one is another hometown venue. It's Westbury. So really? Theater okay. Westbury in the Round, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a famous theater and it's been there forever. It used to be known as the Westbury Music Fair. Yep. 1975, my dad was 15 years old. He did a paper route and he saved up all his money from this paper route. And he bought tickets for him and his mom and his dad, my grandparents, my grandfather who I'm named after, and my grandmother who introduced me to this music. She bought them tickets to go see Frank Sinatra at Westbury. He, he, he bought, he bought for, for all three of them. And they went and saw Frank Sinatra on the same stage that I was performing at. And the first night I performed at Westbury, my parents sat in the first row. And as the stage spun around every so often, I would get to look at their faces, looking at me, standing on the round with 3,000 people around me. And it was, like, uh, it, was, it was like one of those other moments where, where you just go, damn, I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. I am so happy to be here. You know, you almost feel the, the spirit of my grandparents, you know, come over and kind of lift you up. And that was a, that was a really unforgettable night. Uh, and that theater is just special to me because number one, it's my hometown. Uh, you know, it's, it's Long Island and you yep. get people from all over Long Island and Brooklyn and Queens to come see you. And number two, uh, just because of that story, because every time I go back there, I remember that. Yeah. I, you know, I remember how much my grandmother loved Frankie Valley. She loved Paul Anka and my photos backstage in between Frankie Valley and Paul Anka. Paul Anka. And that's like, uh, that's nuts to me. It's still nuts to me. It's still wild to me. I stop every show. At some point, I stop and I look out at the crowd and I go, this is nuts, right? You guys, <laughs> like, this is wild. You saw me on TV and now you're here seeing me. I had no idea, you know, 10 years ago that I could do this. And now I'm here doing this for all you people, yeah. you know? And then afterwards, we're going to go over there to the lobby and I'm going to sign t-shirts with my face on it. Isn't that <laughs> nuts to anybody? Hasn't that hit anybody yet? Because it still hasn't hit me. You know, I'm, I'm still like uh, a little in shock by it. Yeah. So yeah, definitely Madison Square Garden, uh, the St. George Theater, and, uh, and Westbury would be number one. I'm very curious of the restaurant you started at. 
It was uh, Toro Pazzo. It's no longer there. It's Margaritas oh, okay. on Wanto Avenue in Wanto. Okay. Uh, it's not no longer there because of me. It's, it's no longer there for other reasons. <laughs> I hoping they would have like a plaque of you there. All right. They, have the, they named one of the enchiladas after me. So that's, uh, <laughs> if you that's go awesome. there, you can could, you could look for that. Speaking of Westbury, not to mention, and I don't want to even, I don't want to short sell you because it may be more than four times, but you sold it out at least four times. So that's yeah. part of it too. That, that's what I mean by, by when I say I have the greatest fans in the world. They're, yeah. they're super loyal. Uh, the, the staff at Westbury. Uh, Kate over there, she's tremendous. Sean has been tremendous at Live Nation. Brian Rosenberg, he's uh, he's my mishpacha from from now on. You know, he's uh, he's uh, he's a good guy. He promotes that show every year and does yeah. a great job. Uh, I got I also got to thank News Twelve. You know, Alisa Di Stefano. Uh, nice. uh, you know, uh, uh, Carol Silva has yeah. been like family to us. My parents go out with her brother and sister-in-law, like, you know, once a month, they go have dinner. So like, they've been, they've been really key in selling that show out. So I can't, I can't put that all on me, but uh, that's definitely made it special too. We're kind of running out of time. um, But uh, before I get into what you have coming up next and what you've been doing during quarantine and you've been staying busy, last question I have for you is that, you know, if God was to give you, you know, a one-on-one. He gave you two minutes with Frank Sinatra. He sent him down for you. What do you, what would you want him to say to you? Oh boy. Well, what I want him to say, I'd want him to say, you're doing all right, kid. That's the first thing I want him to say. I <laughs> yeah. want some sort of like uh, a nine, you know? Yeah. Good, good idea. Never wearing jeans on stage. That's, that's, you know, <laughs> true. But uh, boy, I'd want him to, to tell me, I'd want him to tell me what it was like, uh, musically after after his uh his divorce from ava gardner mm-hmm. you know one of the most uh, ava gardner was an actress for those people watching i don't know she's yeah. a famous actress in that day <clears throat> and uh, frank sinatra was once quoted as saying that ava gardner was his one true love in life and that she was the the most important person to him uh most important love of his life rather and that when she left it kind of took the sunshine away so it translated into a lot of really beautiful, like hauntingly beautiful music that Sinatra did at Capitol Records in the, in the coming years. So I wanna, I wanna ask him about that. You know, how, how do you take such pain and make such joy from it? I think that's what we're all wondering right now is how do, how do we take all of this that's going on in the world right now and possibly make anything positive from it? You know, yeah. we, we, I, I've had a lot of loss in, uh, in my friends and family circle and as well as a lot of other people have, uh, especially in, in this area that's been hit really hard by this, by this virus. We're seeing a lot of death and destruction all around. How do we make something beautiful out of it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that, that's something I, I, I'd want to ask him. Yeah. That's awesome. And that segues us to, you know, what you've been doing now. There's a lot of cool things we just mentioned before we jumped on uh, the episode uh, that you're looking to do something for the hospitals. And also just tell us about the, the Sunday shows you have going on, too. So uh, every Sunday, at four o'clock, I hop on Facebook Live for uh, for all those fans who've been, you know, my cheerleaders for the last few years. And I just do about an hour of music for them, you know, stuff that I want to play. I sometimes I'll see uh, requests. I actually have a pad right here, with witchcraft written on it. Somebody, somebody said that in a in a live that I did with somebody. They were like, "Oh, you should sing witchcraft." I'm like, I'll write it down. Mm-hmm. So I'll take requests for people. I'll just play for an hour, and then uh, about 15 minutes after that's done, at about 5:15, I do the same on Instagram. Uh, every week, I post a link in the either the description of the video or my bio on Instagram, uh, where people can donate to a different cause. Uh, the World Health Organization has the COVID Relief Fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, this past Sunday, we did, uh, we partnered with, uh, with a uh, kind of a grassroots uh, charity called Feed the Nurses PM Shift. Uh, the Murrays, the family that, uh, the proprietors of uh, Mulcahy's in Wontaw, one of my favorite spots to, to hang out. They started a charity where they're taking care of the, the PM Shift nurses because there's a lot of people doing a lot of great things you know, we talk about the beauty to come out of this. You know, everyone's kind of taking care of the nurses and the first responders. Uh, and that's mostly happening during the day. But, you know, there are paramedics, nurses, doctors, uh, sanitation workers who are on call 
all night. So feed the nurses PM shift uh, is, is kind of taking care of that, that crew. So I said, you know, this is a great thing. Uh, so I put it in my bio, we raised a bunch of money. And uh, now this weekend, actually tomorrow night, because it's going to be nice out, uh, the Murrays are donating their PA system, a generator, and the backs of their pickup trucks. And I'm going to donate my time as well as, uh, as Jason Reese, my piano man. And uh, we're going to go to Southside Hospital, South Nassau Hospital. And uh, we're going we're gonna to play just a few minutes for the staff there just wow. to kind of brighten their, their spirits, let them know that, you know, even though it's the middle of the night and there's a lot of horror going on overnight and, and uh, a lot of people are lonely in there and a lot of, you know, a lot of people are working super hard. We want to let them know that we appreciate them, that we're thinking of them. Yeah. Sal, the voice, man, you're the man. I'm so happy we got a, a chance to talk to you and you're spending some time with us virtually. Um, if uh, people who haven't or haven't been following you already, what's the best way to uh, contact you or follow you on Instagram? And uh, Sal, the voice on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, uh, Twitter, Cameo is Sal, the voice. Everything is Sal, uh, um, Patreon is Sal, the voice. Everything is Sal, the voice. Yeah. Uh, and you can buy... Uh, the Voice EP on iTunes or stream it. I think nobody's buying music anymore. Stream it on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music. Yep. Uh, I think it's also on SoundCloud. Uh, also, uh, Christmas Presents, my Christmas album. Yep. Uh, I'll also be releasing some videos on Patreon that we filmed before the whole crisis happened with, uh, with Black Tie Brass. I'm awesome. starting a new web series called Get in the Car. We actually taped a couple of episodes of it. So uh, the Growing Up Italian team at Growing Up Italian and I, we, uh, we kind of put our heads together and started this web series. And we'll have some previews and some stuff from that coming out in the next couple of weeks. So a lot of stuff I'm excited about. But make sure you follow me and we'll keep up with that. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sal. Um, like I said, it was a pleasure talking to you and we're glad that you're, you're staying busy. You're getting creative in terms of keeping the people entertained virtually and, and giving back to the community. It's, you're a good dude, man. We're happy. I love here. this place. I love yeah. this place. This is my favorite place on planet Earth is Long Island. I don't care how cold it gets. I don't care how shitty the people drive. I love this place and I always will. This is the Warm Up Podcast. Peace, man. <laughs>